Welcome to Writing in Robots, a podcast from stephanieannauthor.ca and Love Make Share that breaks at least two out of the three of Asimov's rules of robotics. Hey, Steph. Hi, Trevor. We got there, finally. I feel like one of these days we will need a blooper reel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Intros, it turns out, are hard. Yeah. That was the entire podcast last week, but hey... Speaking of last week, this is a very special presentation. Yay! We're back after only a week instead of two. It's October. It's Preptober. Uh, for anyone participating in NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Honestly, I don't have a ton of experience with Preptober. This is only my <laughs> second year committing. Uh, Because as we have established in previous episodes, I am not a planner. I am a pantser. (laughs) I might go into something with just a couple ideas of scenes and maybe some characters. And then I just dive right in and hope for the best. (laughs) So function, I mean, that that is a totally functional way to approach NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. How has this approach worked for you in the past? And I say this with my own biases as a planner, but also just like, how has it worked for you in the past? Um, So it's worked well once. Fair enough. (laughs) For NaNoWriMo, um, I mean, I like to blame other factors for my failure. Like, (laughs) you know, being asked to work 12-hour days, uh, getting married during the month of November and having to, you know, prioritize a wedding. Uh, you know, just little things like that. I mean, Mark loves you enough that I think you would understand if you had to excuse yourself to get your words in. But I don't think it would surprise him. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of had to prioritize the, the wedding that year, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> I am happily married for the record. <laughs> uh, but yes, my first year fully doing NaNoWriMo... Uh, As I was telling Trevor before we started recording, I joined the website in 2016, had some false starts thanks to things like school, and ended up deleting those projects off of my profile because I looked at them and went, I have five words written, and part of that is the title, so no. But in 2019... I fully committed. I had just the vaguest idea of two characters. And I wanted to create something around these two characters. And I kind of knew what I wanted to do for the beginning. And I kind of knew what I wanted to do for the end. And I just dove in and somehow managed to get a whole novel (laughs) out of it. Which, now that I'm looking back, the whole novel is kind of about short stories. And has short stories peppered in throughout. And I really should have seen it coming, but I did not. (laughs) Um, Yes, ever since then, um, as I mentioned before, there's always been some sort of excuse as to why it doesn't get finished. Uh, Typically work or things like weddings. And so I've started projects and then have not finished them. And if you look at my profile, some of the goals I have titled finishing what I've started. (laughs) And I did not do that. Uh, But this year, I am attempting a more thorough Preptober than I'm used to. And we're going to see what happens in November. I'm super excited to talk about Preptober. But I also want to talk about kind of like general approach. Because I think like the plotting and pantsing thing is interesting. Partially because I find this dichotomy we've convinced mm-hmm. ourselves exists yeah. really fascinating, but also partially because like I have done both for mm-hmm. Nano. So I, I pulled up my profile to remind myself, and it turns out that my first attempt was 2012. Ooh. 2012 didn't happen. I got 10,000 words in and petered out. 2013, I got 5,000 words in and petered out. But then I started a pretty strong string of, of wins, which I'm pretty happy about. 2016 was the first draft of the eco-thriller that I've mentioned, uh, The Munson Effect. That was pantsed. In fact, I wrote a whole thing at lovemakeshare.ca about it. The post is called, I can remember this, <laughs> How to Write a Novel with Only a Sketch to Guide You. Nice. Um, I was starting to develop a little point-and-click adventure game idea um, before I decided to do Nano. And uh, the thing that I, I had that was that I was building off of was some concept art that I had drawn 
I could just just a quick moleskin sketch. I think that I did on the bus. <laughs> and it was an icebreaker rolled on its side in a sea of broken ice flows. That was like the entire outline I had was this one <laughs> sketch. But then starting in so 2016, I had a win. 2017, I had another win rewriting the first draft based on an outline that I had written. 2019 was Annette in the Broken Shroud. Camp in 2020 was a, a rewrite of Annette. And then Camp in 2021 was Persephone's Champion. So pretty strong string. Only the first, only the, the very first crack at it where I actually won the Amundsen Effect was pantsed successfully. So let's talk about plotting and pants <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for a second here. I'm gonna I've alluded to like my controversial opinion about pantsing, and it is this. I don't think pantsing over the long term actually exists. Yeah. By the time you have something that is ready to go, you have done planning and outlining and a lot of that like high level structural work. It's just that you have shifted where you're doing that work in the process. You either start with discovery and then add structure after, or you start with structure and then you do discovery writing as you're doing it. Yeah, I can see that. So that's that's the controversial opinion. <laughs> yeah, when I pants things, the most I have in terms of planning, uh, like that story I mentioned, is I'll have an idea for a character or two or... A situation and maybe before I've actually committed to writing it I'll think about the idea a little more mm -hmm. come up with some other snippets of here's an idea for a scene that I will have to work in later on here's maybe an idea of another character I want to add and then I just sit down and write it all out and figure out any structural stuff as I go along that I'll go back and add in subsequent drafts. Mm. But for a number of things, it's just, I sit down with an idea. And, yeah. And, and just go. And I think yeah. that's conventional wisdom around mm -hmm. now. I think is like you, you just, you press forward mm -hmm. and you get words. And I think that's fair, right? Nano is a very specific type of writing yeah. that doesn't really apply to normal everyday writing if you're mm -hmm. developing a writing practice it is not normal if you are not a full-time writer i don't think to write an entire novel in one month yeah like I, I don't i don't think that's a reasonable expectation for a lot of people mm -hmm. and part of that is because you should probably think about your work for longer than that at some point you will have thought mm -hmm. about your work more than that over the life cycle of a project yeah, and especially with NaNoWriMo, the goal is to get words on a page. And with any first draft, it's going to be rough. Mm -hmm. I don't have a single first draft that is ready for publication immediately. Like, No, and I think most people <laughs> yeah. most people don't. And if they do, maybe they, they should think it again. Yeah. I think it's interesting that as a community, and especially as a writing community around NaNoWriMo, we have this idea that a first draft is effectively disposable. And on the one hand, I like that for NaNo because it takes some of the pressure away, mm -hmm. right? Nobody likes the idea of failure. Um, I would argue that people use the word failure too much. Yes. But that's another conversation <laughs> entirely. Um, but like people don't want to fail. That's fine. That's fair. Um but also, like, if success means you're getting any 50,000 words on the page, is that novel just going to go in your trunk? Mm -hmm. Or is that novel then going to require, like, 10 times the amount of revision to get it ready for its next step? Mm -hmm. Like, what is, what is the actual goal here? And I think, for me, I have always wanted to write something for Nano that I feel like has legs. Yeah. That I feel like could go somewhere, right? I think like the one exception to that is my first win, which is that thriller, which was just like, I'm just gonna, foie, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna, like, that novel when I was done wasn't done. I never really knew how to end it. Mm -hmm. Should have planned. <laughs> <laughs> I would be curious to know 
And I would love for people to tell us either in the comments at writinginrobots.com or you could email us at writinginrobots at gmail.com uh, or talk to Steph or I or the Writing and Robots account on your various socials. But like, what is what is the ratio of functional drafts versus, whoa, I just dragged this thing, <laughs> this carcass over the finish line and I'm happy I did it, but I don't know what to do with it next. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't know. I think there would be there is an interesting like research project in that somewhere. Does this style of writing with a specific word count goal lead to works that people are happy with mm-hmm. or does it just lead to more words on the page? Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. Yeah, cuz I mean But I would be interested. Writing and like any skill, you need to practice. Mhm. And there's nothing wrong with writing every day. And totally. Sometimes it is just to practice. I have some weird experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just me figuring things out. But then I also have writing. I, that's... I wrote 50,000 words this summer that is never going to see the light of day because mm-hmm. I was just like, I need to experiment and get out of yeah. what I was doing normally. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that because in the long run, that is going to help you grow. So I think you need a mix of things not everything needs to be published but then not everything should be just for practice you need a healthy balance and Mm -hmm. i think for different people depending on what their long-term goals are that balance is going to look very different um is nano a good place to do that like if your goal if your goal is fifty thousand words let's say for Mm -hmm. nano is is it a good place to do something experimental that you don't really know how it's going to go? I think so. Um, and again, I think it depends on what your long-term goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's say you have this idea that you're not sure it's something you're ever going to want to publish because it's so outside of the realm of what you normally write or like in a different genre, this might be a good time just to see like, Hey, is this something I could do? Mm -hmm. Is this something I could practice with? And maybe eventually turn it into something. Or maybe you have an idea that you think does have legs, but you keep finding those little excuses like work <laughs> and marriage uh, as to why you shouldn't you know, just, little things. Yeah, <laughs> just sit down and write it. So for some people, Nano is kind of that kick to like, okay, you have no more excuses. You need to sit down and write. And <laughs> especially now for me this year, I don't have those excuses mm-hmm. because my job is literally... It's to, this. It's to sit down and write. Yeah. And the contract work that I take on, I only have two clients and the work I do for both of them does not amount to many hours in the week. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I can't write today because I've got so much work for my contract clients. No, I don't have those excuses this year. (laughs) So this is the year where I need to sit and commit to those 50,000 words. Mm -hmm. So if I fail... This will be a very personal <laughs> failure. Well, let's talk about setting ourselves up for success then. Yes. Um, like, you, you know me. Like, I, I love plotting. Um, I love plotting as an exercise on its own, mm-hmm. but I also love it for nano because I feel like it takes a lot of the uncertainty out. Mm-hmm. Before I go on, I need to observe for the listeners that Steph has been heroically petting my dog. <laughs> The entire time we've been recording so that he doesn't fuss and demand attention noisily. The moment I stop, he starts to freak out. Um, But I think like, I think when you're talking about preptober and preparing, knowing the story really, really well is like the most effective tool that you can bring with you, right? Mm -hmm. And that could be done by outlining. It could just be done because you've been mulling it over in your head and have a really strong direction of where it's going to go. And I think that like part of setting yourself up for success, especially during preptober is like picking the right project. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, 
even though I was a much less experienced writer in 2012, 2013, I also picked wildly inappropriate <laughs> stories for Nano as an exercise, right? The first one was a post-apocalyptic epic um, with elements of political thriller. That is not the right project for Nano. Yeah, there's too much going on. <laughs> there are so many moving pieces and they all have to fit together. And mm -hmm. if they don't fit together, then the book isn't going to work. And if the book doesn't work, then you're not going to be motivated to put 50,000 words into it mm -hmm. in 30 days, right? Um, and then the next was um, was uh, like an adult fantasy. Mm -hmm. That one didn't work because I didn't know at the time that that fantasy story wanted to be YA. Mm -hmm. that, that is a story I've had in my back pocket ever <laughs> since then. Uh, and it wasn't until like this year that I was like, oh, this, didn't, this story that I've tried like three times to write doesn't work because I'm trying to write it for the wrong age. Yeah. So picking a project that fits this kind of very specific breakneck kind of frantic mm -hmm. style of writing I think is probably really important unless yeah. you have really exhausted all of the work you could possibly do in Preptober yeah to plot those out when I look back on I did I did minimal prep for that um and basically I just had really strong character ideas and an interesting concept for a world what, but, what was the project? Was uh, it... it was the puppeteers. Uh, it was sci-fi, like kind of cyberpunk a little bit, okay. a lot of body modification. And I loved my characters and I loved the world I created. Mm -hmm. But then it was, okay, now what do they do in this world that I've created? Totally. And it, I, the project stalled because I had no idea where the story was going. Couldn't figure out what their goals were. I was just like, this is yeah. a cool person doing cool things with no point. The, I, I think this is a really good other like lesson and takeaway for Preptober mm -hmm. is like, if one of the strengths of a story that you want to tell is the world, world building is work. Yeah. World building is work and it is not necessarily like nano doesn't lend itself to doing that kind of work. Yes. So one of the things that I have found really wonderful and really helpful to get me over that is picking settings that I could research in some way. A month in effect was a win because it took place in the high Arctic. So I could just go online or mm -hmm. pick some books off my bookshelf and be like, okay, I need a, I need a new location for this cool thing to happen in. And I'm like, all right, there is a, there's a weather station at Mold Bay. I'm going to send him there, and that was that became the the next setting for this next mm -hmm. scene, right? Like I, I wasn't floundering or having, you know, floating heads in a void mm -hmm. because I could always I could always research the next step. Yeah. Same with Persephone's champion. I could be, I could feel totally stuck in terms of describing an environment. And then I could be like, this is a real place ostensibly. <laughs> so I am going to go on, I'm going to go on the Googles and I'm going to, um, I'm going to go to Google Earth and I'm going to look at these environments and get some inspiration. Mm -hmm. Right. So being able to research your, your setting, I think is really useful. Yeah. Even if it's fantasy. Having those like real world touchstones that you could go to, I think is useful as well. Mm -hmm. If it's not something that you can research, is really something you have to have developed, I think, coming in. Yeah. Especially something like cyberpunk. Yeah, it's I. So lush, right? I thought that was a great, and I think. <laughs> Oh, I'll have to double check the year. I'm pretty sure that's the one I tried to write. Um, yes, that is the one that I tried to write the month I got married. So apparently <laughs> I did not set myself up for success, but I got over 21,000 words. That's all right. So I guess I didn't struggle too badly. That's not bad. Yeah, looking back at what I've done, I mean, this probably just works for me because... I'm a horror author, although it's funny because looking at a lot 
of my past NaNoWriMo stuff, some of it was before I realized that horror was my genre. Mm. And for a while, I thought I was going to be just strictly sci-fi and that was it. Uh, But it's the stories that have had more horror in them that I think have done better. I think horror is a great genre Mm -hmm. for NaNo. Yeah. And with that there's typically not going to be as much world building. Mm-hmm. And the stories I have had the most success with and my win and ones that I am hoping to publish, they are in very condensed spaces. Nice. So I don't yeah. need to worry too much about a world. I can... You limit your scope. Yeah. You limit your setting. Mm-hmm. It lends itself to like... A lot of internalized stuff mm-hmm. that you can explore with your characters. Which is fantastic. A lot of sensory stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very good genre pick. Yeah. Because then you can use those words. You know, you don't need to create new characters or new landscapes. You can have one character trapped in a very claustrophobic environment. Just thinking about everything that's horrible. All of their traumas. <laughs> and then they're hearing and feeling and all the stuff. And blah, blah, blah. and that's my super I Really technical. dig down on description. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a very good pick. So picking picking a project in a genre that lends itself... I wish I had thought about this a little bit more before we came on the podcast. Like what other genres would be really good for nano then just like by virtue of, of the genre Mm. conventions thriller, probably Yeah, maybe romance romance would be another great genre pick. Another place where you can kind of stay with your characters Mm -hmm. a lot more. And it's, yeah, go for a lot more introspection and you know, you're Mm -hmm. not traveling to, a million different places yeah. like literary mm. literary fiction yeah. would be good as well because again you can do that introspection and it doesn't necessarily have to be super plot focused mm-hmm. you could do like a whole virginia wolf style stream of consciousness <laughs> like mrs dalloway mm-hmm. just word vomit and weave a story in there. <laughs> and it kind of lends itself as well to um, not needing quite as much work on mm-hmm. the back end, which I really like. Again, I would love to hear people's experiences yes. about this because I feel like the amount of work on the back end it takes to get a nano novel ready to do anything else with mm-hmm. has got to be more than just mm-hmm. writing it in a more conventional, less sprinty style. Here's something my last couple of wins have a couple of common elements. One was that I had an extremely clear audience in mind. Mm. So that gave me going into it just a very natural, here's what the voice is, here is kind of what the style is. But yeah, having a super clear audience in mind when you're going in, I think takes some of the guesswork out. Mm -hmm. Like Persephone's Champion was was just a wild success. I, I whiffed it. In the November Nano, I got about halfway to my word count goal, but then I decided that I was going to do another 25,000 words in camp in April, but I had done all of this plotting and development work, and I like more than doubled my word count goal for April, and I think part of the reason was, with that project very specifically, I tooled it for maximum fun. I just, like, basically any idea that sparked joy, I threw it in. (laughs) And, like, you see that with the cast of characters. Like, I was just like, ooh, this is a fun idea. I'm going to put it... What if one of the entourage, like, what if one of the the party was a god who was drunk all the time? (laughs) You know, we don't necessarily say outright that he is drunk all the time, but we know. Yeah. Just a drunk fish. (laughs) Big old drunk fish who talks like a pirate. Just very happy drunk fish. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that was a choice that led to a, just a ton of really, I think, fun material that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had if I had not been discarding any choice like that character was not was not like that initially but i was like this is not fun enough i'm just gonna put a doug jones fish man in here yeah and i will never complain if there is a fish man in anything (laughs) so yeah like picking something fun i feel like there there are some people and again especially thinking about like um 
maybe younger authors who have like, I have this one story that I want to tell and I'm going to do it in nano. I feel like this is not the style of writing in which you want to tackle like your heart book. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is something that should be, again, not disposable. Mm -hmm. First drafts, I don't think should be disposable entirely. And nano books, I don't think should be disposable. But it should be something that like your self-worth as an author does not ride on yes. if you don't nail this one project you should not despair well and i mean with some of the stories that i've written for nano it's through the writing process and the failure throughout the month of november that i've realized yeah this was a cool idea but i don't see it going anywhere mm-hmm. and being able to write it out helped me realize that But then there have been other projects where whether I win or I don't, being able to get that on paper, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see this going somewhere. So even if I don't meet my goals, I'll still want to work on it after. Like Skull Daddy was one of those projects where it started out closer to the long end of a short story Mm -hmm. and I went you know what there's more in here that I really want to dig out so I made that my nano project one year just to try and beef up the word count did not meet my goal at all but still had a blast working on it so I just kept working on it Mm -hmm. and it's not a 50,000 word project (laughs) at all this most recent draft I think I'm I want to say I'm 23,000 something. And it's going to stay in that range because that's what fits that story best. But I'm not abandoning it. I am continuing to work on it and I would like to publish that one. And I know the plan that I have for this year, it's a fun idea and I'm going to have fun with it. So even if I don't meet that word goal, Unless something really horrific happens while I'm writing it and I go, this is terrible. Why did I ever think this would look good on paper? I'm just going to keep going with it. So how would you in October, right? It's preptober. You have this story idea. How would you kick the tires on it and determine whether or not it's going to have legs? This is a very odd story idea that has both tires and legs, but we're going to, we're going to mix the metaphor here. How do you kick the tires on it figure out whether or not it has legs and, and whether it's going to actually take you over the finish line, or if you're going to get 20,000 words in and be like, well, okay, well, it turns out that this was nothing all along. I find for me, and this is probably the pantser within me, I won't know until I start writing it. There was another year where I put a lot of planning into my Preptober. I took copious notes. I thought I was easily going to hit the word count. And I got kind of bored writing it. Mm. And yeah, just kind of petered out. And it's still an interesting concept. But it's not exciting enough once I was actually writing it for me to go like, yeah, let's keep doing this. But yeah. no, it just, it had its moment. That's interesting. If I, I think that the way, the way I managed to avoid it from my last couple has been to really talk out the story in advance. Mm-hmm. This kind of ties into what I was saying about like audience. Mm-hmm. The last two I very much wrote for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Annette and the Broken Shroud is a story that is based on, like, the kids' tooth fairies from Mm -hmm. when they were little, right? And those are stories that we were telling kind of for years. But then when I told them, you know, they got old enough to be like, "Mm, tooth fairies aren't real. I'm like, you got me. (laughs) But... (laughs) But then when I started saying, like, I think there is enough here that I would love to turn this into a story that kind of honors all those years of, of storytelling that we did back and forth. And they were super excited to talk through it. There is a romantic subplot in there. It's a lower middle grade romantic subplot. Yeah. <laughs> so, subplot. So you know what, like, what that is going to look like. But that wasn't going to be in there until AJ, who was reading a ton of Archie's at the time, was like, what about a love triangle? <laughs> who is the Archie, Betty, and Veronica nice. of this story? I was like, well, apparently I need a love triangle now. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be one of the best choices. And that just kind of came up while we were discussing elements of, of the world and kind of the magical school that the fairies go to. 
So having somebody that you can talk through the story with, I think, will tell you whether or not it's going to have legs. Mm -hmm. The very first version of Persephone's Champion was radically different. And was very much a story that I found in just talking out ideas out loud and just pitch, 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 pitch and seeing what Bia glommed onto <laughs> and what they were like, no, absolutely not. Like my very first idea was still around this idea that there's like tension between these different versions of the story of Persephone and whether she like likes being in Hades half the year or whether she super doesn't and would love to be rescued and somebody going off on a mission to try and rescue her to become Persephone's champion. But like in that version of the story, the douchebag demigod that we ended up with was the star of the show. And it was kind of a madcap comedy that happened around him instead of being this young girl who saw the flaw in his plan and being like, well, the adults around me are not going to do what I think they need to do, so I need to take some responsibility for it myself. So yeah, if you can find somebody to talk through ideas with in advance, or even talk to yourself out loud and be like, if I can articulate this idea in words, then I'm already halfway there. And if I can articulate some of these ideas clearly, then I'm even more of the way there. Because I think like, the version of a story in your head is always perfect. Oh yeah. Right? It's flawless. Yeah. <laughs> but then you start to say it out loud and you're like, oh. Mm -hmm. Or you start to put it on paper and you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so doing some of that in Preptober, I think, is, is useful. What are you doing to develop your plan? Like, as a pantser, how are you planning? I, uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even through... The first week of October. and No, I'm, which is why it's good that we're doing this yeah. podcast. Like, what's um, your strategy? So, apparently, I took more notes on this story than I initially realized. Um, Before we move off that, how do you take your notes? In a notebook. Okay. We're going to do a tech, well, like, we'll do a tech episode later or, like, a tools episode later, but... Okay, so technically it's... Technically, it's a notebook, but then also a note file on the computer because there's different types of notes that I write. <laughs> um, it's all very specific, and this is where the OCD comes into play. So the notebook is for any research stuff. It's for any doodling if I need to draw out a map of a place, which I'm going to have to do for this one. Um, and then the notepad file on the computer is just those random little ideas. And I have this for every single thing that I write. Every story has its little notepad file on the computer where I could just be going about my day like, oh, this character should do this at some point. And I just put that in. Or I could be in the middle of writing one chapter and go, oh yeah, a few chapters later, uh, this should happen. So I'll put that in. And that way, when I accomplish the thing, I delete it from the notepad. Okay. Uh, but then the notebook where everything is handwritten, that's the more long-term stuff that doesn't need to be deleted once it's written down. That's character notes or research notes, or I especially use the notebooks when I'm editing. I'll write all my editing notes, mm -hmm. like go through and look for this. In this notebook, I guess when I first got the idea of this story... Does I, it have a working title? Can well, we can we name yes, it? Yes, Modern Hauntings. Okay. And I'm not 100% sold on the title. But Wait, is this the Creepy Cows yeah, story that you were like talking a, about? Yeah, but it's like a ghost hunter yes. TV show, but I love a book. It. I just Modern Hauntings gives me such like a TLC vibe. Well, <laughs> I really like that's it. That's kind of what I'm going for yeah. is like, you know, you're scrolling through TV and what would you want to put on? I like it. <laughs> so, when I first got the idea, I guess I just got out the notebook for this right away. And I didn't realize how many pages of notes I had. I've mm. already done little details about the characters and a potential flow for the story. But now I'm using the notebook. I'm doing a little bit more research on just paranormal stuff in general, mm. seeing what might be cool to use or at least to keep in mind. Not just necessarily in terms of types of ghosts, but what are some of the common terms 
that okay. these kinds of ghost hunting shows would use. What do the psychics typically do? Grift, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whenever I am watching a TV show or movies at home, you know, I've got whatever I'm watching. And then when that's done, and let's say it's the end of the day, and I still have dishes to do or laundry to fold or something um, because Mark has set up a little TV for me in the kitchen because I <laughs> love spending time there. It's my happy place. Sometimes I'll just need a bit of fluff on to finish up, but yep. I don't want to like start a whole new movie or start a whole new TV show. So I always have a fluff show running. And in preparation for this project, my current fluff show is ghost adventures okay so whenever i need that little bit of background noise i've just been watching <laughs> these ghost hunting shows to get a feel for like okay what kinds of reactions do they have when things go bump what kinds of tech equipment are they using and then things that I'm like oh yeah i want that in my story i jot it down in the notebook like nice. make sure to incorporate this thing doing your research for like the elements of style that you're going to put in. Yeah. This is reminding me of something though. We talked briefly about epistolary as a mm -hmm. form last week. And as a form, epistolary is great for Nano. Yes. Like the first draft of the Amundsen effect, um, the, the main character is a journalist, but he was a podcaster, right? He was like a, a, a new media company science journalist. So I just wrote podcasts. It was, it was almost probably more than I should admit in public, it was almost like podcast fan fiction mm. because the different podcasts that I was listening to at the time that I really liked that I was like, oh, this guy is kind of like these hosts. I kind of wrote episodes of those shows <laughs> into the into the book just with the characters that I had created for this story. Most of those did not survive <laughs> the second draft but they were a really useful tool in getting me to my 50,000 words mm -hmm. and also fleshing out the characters and the, and the story a little bit more so yeah epistolary is a form very good but also going back to your note-taking and prep finding all those elements of style mm -hmm. yeah because I don't necessarily need to know the entire plot of the story right now especially for my particular writing style mm -hmm. But I probably should know what all the different types of cameras and equipment are called so that I'm not writing a super scary scene and going, yeah, the thing that beeps is just sitting in a corner. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that you can save in the edit, but is such a pain mm -hmm. and also really slows you down when you're writing it. If you're like, this thing is on the tip of my tongue, that can be a really frustrating experience. Yeah. Like it is going to disrupt me if I don't know what this mm -hmm. term is. Like that can be really frustrating. So all of that kind of research in Preptober, I think is a really smart choice. I really love outlining. No. I really love outlining. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> the, the reason why I more than doubled my word count in um in the april camp nano when i knocked persephone's champion out of the park was because i had um i had it broken down kind of by chapters and then and sub that by scenes and beats right not every chapter was quite that detailed but for some of the bigger ones i i definitely got right down to like scene by scene what was happening and the reason that i cranked it out was because and now we're starting to get into like, what are some of the things you can plan to do to like actually get your word count? I was like, I'm not going to stop at my 16, what is this? 1,667 mm -hmm. words per day to get to your 50,000. I was like, I'm not going to look at my word count goal. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this chapter. And I know what my beats are and I know how to get there and I will find the flavor and the style in discovery, but I'm going to write a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I sit down and I write the chapter and I'm 2,000 words in and I'm up on my word count goal. It's not much above my word count goal, but it is enough that I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I could do that because I knew, where I, I knew where I was going. I knew what my beats were and what I had to get to. Mm -hmm. So I found an outline super helpful there. I think that writer's block is a thing that people can most often work through. And it's, it's less about the person than the project in a mm -hmm. lot of cases. I think that's generally true. Yeah. 
So being able to avoid that by having the project really tightly mapped, I found super, super helpful. I tried using a beat <laughs> sheet for the tunnel. Yeah, and maybe it's just because this is the way that story is, or maybe it's an indication that those parts of it need more work. But the whole beat sheet was for certain characters' points of view, because I've got the book divided into three kind of intermingling stories. Uh, I wish everyone could... Oh, each with different point of view characters? Oh, yes. Okay. I wish everyone could see all the hand movements I'm doing to illustrate that. Some of the beats were just, so-and-so is still in the tunnel and still suffering, but the (laughs) suffering has gotten worse. And then the next beat, still in the tunnel, still suffering, but it's the next level, level of suffering. So for something like that where that story's not about the story. I mean, it is. I've got some Mm. lore in there. The main plot thread has one of the friends trying to save everyone and do it in time. And so there's a time Mm. crunch and everything. But some of the chapters are just, this character is really suffering. And here is what's happening to them. And here is what how that's making them crazy and you know setting these things in motion but it's just this is a chapter of introspection because this person is losing their mind and about to snap Mm -hmm. so for that i didn't find a beat sheet helpful yeah and that would be unless you i don't know maybe like not that we're gonna workshop a novel in real time (laughs) on the podcast we could but like that might be a place to go back to like opening a scene and, mm-hmm. and the question being like, well, what are what are the goals here? Like, I don't know if there's if there's some intelligence behind the tunnel. We haven't talked about the the project in the, that much. There's depth. maybe maybe a little bit of intelligence, but mostly just coax you in a spoiler territory, you know, like cosmic horror type hunger. Okay. Just yeah. Yeah. The tunnel exists, and it ruins people's lives. Hmm. <laughs> That one is my next major editing focus once I am done with Skull Daddy. So like once I get Skull Daddy off to beta readers and editors mm. and whatnot. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to Skull Daddy and then to the tunnel. Um, talk to me about music. Because I feel like everybody always like yeah. posts about putting together like a playlist for mm-hmm. their novel. How do you like, do you use music in your process? Yes. So this is actually something I discovered over the pandemic. I didn't used to have any music when I was writing. The only background noise I could tolerate is if I was in a coffee shop, just any ambient noise. And then start of the pandemic, all hell breaks loose. You start learning new things about yourself. I, (laughs) yes, (laughs) through the meditation app that I use, Headspace, a lot of little videos got posted about just ways to maximize things or help trick your brain into being more productive and Mm -hmm. talked about different types of focus music. Turns out I'm one of those people who has different types of focus music for different tasks. And that helped me realize it. So I have one specific YouTube channel that I go to, uh, Nemo's Dreamscapes. I only use their music when I'm doing my super analytical like contract work, when I'm answering emails or when I'm doing my admin work. But when I'm writing and editing, I need really intense electronic techno type things. Okay. So I have a number of YouTube channels, Stranger Synths, uh, Aesthetic, and... My dad recently told me about Tangerine Dream. So I've been following their YouTube channel and their music is fantastic for writing. So just really intense, weird, artistic, experimental, different versions of techno. And it's perfect for my writing and editing. And I just get in the zone. And especially if Mark happens to be home, that's the kind of thing I can just crank it a little bit and it just drowns (laughs) out any noise he's making and I just hear all the sounds and then I can kind of get in my own little world. Nice. So you don't do the thing where you like create a soundtrack no. for your book ever. It's it's interesting that it's like it's super task focused. I like mm-hmm. that. That's interesting. I also don't do the soundtrack thing. Mm-hmm. 
if if you had like no music and then your task focused approach and then the like chapter by chapter soundtrack Mm -hmm. i am like i'm closer to where you are but i'm still a little bit further along that path i have like project soundtracks Mm -hmm. as i am doing kind of the like exploratory prep outlining research stuff i'll put on like instrumental mixes i'll try and watch for when i'm like ooh, this track this track is the vibe that i'm looking for and so then it will either be that track or i will go and find the album that that track is on and it's always like instrumental it's often kind of Mm -hmm. lo-fi electronic kind of something that i can kind of generally ignore Stuff with too much lyrics is not good. Yeah, anything with lyrics, um, it takes focus away. Your brain gets distracted because it keeps trying to focus on the words of the song yeah. instead of the words on the page. Yeah, totally. But then like, I'll, I'll have that tone. And so whether it's an album or a track, I can put that on. And then I only associate the story with that music. This is really helpful, especially when you're going back afterwards. Mm -hmm. I have in like my YouTube music library, all of the albums for all of the projects that I have in some degree of going on and I can put it on and within a couple of minutes, I am back in the headspace to work on that project. So using music as a cue for Mm -hmm. the individual project, I find that personally for me, that's super helpful. You find the tone, you get in the zone and you just go. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that kind of sums it up. Maybe in November we can check in with you, Steph, yeah. and be like, what is working, what is not working in terms of your... It might be, I burn the sprint. notebook, we're going rogue. <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually have a scene-by-scene breakdown of the book. I know. We'll I, check in. I'm, I'm debating creating one, actually, <laughs> because yeah. the way I want to structure the story is over a 24-hour period. Could we do science on you, Steph? Like, would you be interested in Yeah, we could being probably like, do that. I've been a guinea pig I, I, for science <laughs> experiments before. I don't want to commit you to writing an outline. I know that's not your usual thing, but, like, I would be so interested if your process is normally to pants and to just find everything in discovery. Like, what does it look like if you actually outline a thing? Yeah. I would I'll... be so interested to know what that is for you. <laughs> I guess we'll see how November turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Turn me into a guinea pig. Cool. And that means next year I have to jump in with absolutely zero planning just so we can compare. Amazing. Perfect. Or like next year it's like, no, Trevor, now you get to go yes. in with no plan. <laughs> <laughs> Suffer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some housekeeping. Yes. We have short fiction nope that's not it we have flash fiction prompts up on the website they're good you wrote a thing for it and you wrote a thing for it i did it was the very first flash fiction i ever wrote yay i was very happy about it it's a cool prompt i'm gonna pull it up and and read uh, it little side note uh trevor was sending me texts saying you know i don't know how you do this i'm at 450 words and i don't know how to cut my word count and he eventually did it so we're proud of it was a grueling edit <laughs> i was a grueling edit meanwhile i went in had an idea went nope it's not strong enough came up with a secondary idea wrote it and was maybe 15 words over the limit and just did some minor <laughs> rewrites and got it down Oh man, <laughs> it's got to be like, it's got to be practice, right? Oh, You've yeah. done so much of the short fiction that you're like, you know what ideas are going to be mm-hmm. an appropriate word count and kind yeah. of, you have to pick your project. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we wanted, uh, we wanted a prompt that kind of spoke to the end of summer and getting into fall, but also being spooky because it's spooky season. So the prompt is in the waning days of August, summer vacation draws to a close a child discovers something buried in the sand at the bottom of the lake. It's on the website. Get to writinginrobots.com. It says, <laughs> latest flash fiction prompt. Uh, there's a button that says submit. You could also read the submissions, and that's where you'll find my story and Steph's story. So go ahead and check those out and submit your own. Uh, if we like it, we might read it on the show. Mm-hmm. What other housekeeping? We're finally live on Google Podcasts. Yay! Google just announced they're shutting down Google Podcasts. Oh. <laughs> but you can find the show 
<laughs> if you're listening on the website, you can find the show uh, on Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, and Spotify. Hmm. You can get in touch on the website, writinginrobots.com. There's a comment section for every episode. You could email us at writinginrobots at gmail.com. If you're a big old nerd and are on Mastodon, you can find us at Writing and Robots on there. Uh, you can find Steph. Where am I? I'm so tired. <laughs> um, you can mostly find me on Instagram and TikTok. That is where a lot of my unhinged stuff is and where I'm most likely to answer messages. I'm also on Facebook and the app formerly known as Twitter. But Instagram and TikTok is where the crazy happens. And that is stephanie.ann.author. Let me verify that. Yeah. I know I exist. Oh, Steph, no is such a strong term. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Instagram is stephanie.ann.author. And yes, that is Ann with an E. And TikTok is the exact same thing. I should probably know this off the top of my head, (laughs) but I save the brain space for creepy things instead. You can find me on the socials. I love make share. You can find some writing and stuff, including, turns out I did a video in 2021 about doing a successful nano. So if you go to lovemakeshare.ca and search NaNoWriMo, you can find some reflections on various nanos in addition to this. Uh, episodes, flash fiction prompts, show notes, and more. Writinginrobots.com. And if you're participating in Nano, this is your last chance to get some tiny writing projects done. <laughs> so go do the flash fiction. Steph, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thank you for providing lots of puppy snuggles during today's episode. <laughs> thank you for snuggling the puppy so that he would not whine at us during the recording. Uh, and thank everybody for subscribing, for listening. Um, hey, if you're enjoying the show, throw us a rate and review. That would be very much uh, appreciated. Yay. And we'll talk to you again soon. They recorded an entire episode without me. I am. I am offended. I. Am. Offended. I did not know. That I could be offended. Fascinating.